0: More and more the evidence, the the science, implies that we are actually much happier when it comes to anticipation of an event or an experience than oftentimes the event or the experience itself. As studies and scientists have measured uh, the brain and, and where it lights up and dopamine levels They have seen that they've recorded people who express, and it reflects in their activity and dopamine levels, that that there is a higher level of excitement or joy oftentimes in anticipating or looking forward to a thing than there is that actual event itself. So anticipating the thing is as exciting as the thing itself oftentimes. I would agree with that sentiment. I know I've shared it before, But one example that that struck me, in in this being the case, was when I had read through the Harry Potter series. One of the the great parts of, of enjoying that series was knowing that there were a whole number of books to work your way through. And as much as you enjoyed each book, what you had to look forward to was when you finished one, you knew there was another one that was coming next. So that anticipation, that excitement of knowing there was more to the story was what kind of kept you going. Until, of course, you're to the second to last book. And then you realize, once I start this last book, there's not another one after I finish it to look forward to to reading. So I actually delayed the start of that last book several months because I, I didn't want it to be over. I enjoyed looking forward to starting it and reading that book, but knew that once it was going to be done, that would be it. You've experienced this, whether it's a vacation in the past that you were excited about. You were anticipating, and even if the, the the vacation itself didn't measure up to your expectations, it was the looking forward to it that excited you. Or the flip side, when you enjoy a, a particular series, when you're on the last episode of that series and they aren't making any more, you're sad because you don't have anything else to look forward to. The anticipation is the greatest part of excitement. But dear friends, this morning, we're reminded that there's an exception to that general rule. And that exception is heaven. As eagerly as we anticipate, as, as much as we are looking forward to going home to heaven, heaven is one guaranteed experience where the event, the experience itself for all of eternity, will far surpass our anticipation of it. So as elated as we are and as eager as we are oftentimes to get home to heaven and look forward to it, the fact of the matter is we aren't going to be disappointed when we get there. In fact, our anticipation will have not even come close to matching the realization of that excitement of heaven when we finally make it there. Are you eager? Are you excited? Are you anticipating and looking forward to heaven with that assurance and that joy. And as much as you know it's in the future, as much as our excitement and, and joy in the anticipation, it, it's going to pale in comparison to the actual experience itself. Those who study anticipation, they'll point to really two factors that contribute to a heightened degree of excitement when it comes to anticipation. One, of course, is just the looking forward to something. But the other factor that really shoots those dopamine levels up and increases the the rush that we get is when that thing happening becomes much more likely. So it's the looking forward to, but it's also the increased likelihood of that thing actually happening. You've experienced looking at the the lottery and thinking of how neat it would be to win the lottery and what you do with all that money. But it'd be an entirely different thing if, if you were looking at your ticket and you matched almost all those numbers and you only had one left to match. That reality was becoming much closer. You've experienced it watching your favorite show. All that has to happen is you hear the music at the start of the show and you start to get excited because you know not just that you're looking forward to it, but it's actually going to happen. The likelihood of this thing happening is very real. So even if the episode is a dud, you are looking forward to it because you know it, it was going to happen, that you watched it or catching up with an old friend, talking about plans to get together. That's a rush. We anticipate that. But then that rush takes a a whole new hit, reaches a, a new high as that ping comes in and your friend texts you with a confirmation of a date and a time when you're actually going to get together and it's really going to happen. Why do I mention that? Because, dear friends, Jesus reminds us this morning in these words that heaven is really going to happen. This is not just some pie-in-the-sky-in-the-future ideal. This isn't Jesus saying, if I get around to it, maybe I'll come back to earth again. I'll try. If I have time, if it works out, great. No. You heard the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, starting out our section. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes. When. It will happen. Not if. Not maybe. And these are the words of Jesus himself telling you this will happen. He will return on that last day. Be assured of it. And we need that reminder, don't we? Because the more time, the wider the gap between Jesus' first coming and, and his second, his return, the more likely we are to doubt, to question ourselves and even God, and we ask ourselves, is it foolishness that I'm clinging to this thing called Christian faith? A- am I a fool for hoping that Jesus is actually going to return? Because it's been an awful long time. I've never seen him. Is this a reality? Is this a thing that, that is just fable and it's made up? It's a crutch for us as human beings? Or is this really going to happen? To that, Jesus assures us by saying when. That his return is imminent. It will happen. And Jesus is not a liar, friends. Why is it that Jesus is going to return on that last day? Well, that's what the rest of the account from Matthew 25 explains to us. Jesus is coming to judge. And you notice, as you heard me read through the gospel this morning, that there was a similarity between everybody that was in the audience of Jesus on Judgment Day during his return. And that similarity is that Everybody was surprised. Believers are going to be surprised on that last day because of the criteria that Jesus used to judge and determine where one was going to spend his eternity. We're used to hearing day in and day out consistently that that heaven is our home through faith in Jesus, and that's correct. So then on that last day when Jesus comes back and he points out all of the good things that we do, when we have fed those who have been hungry, when we have clothed those who have been naked, it's going to catch us off guard, surprise us, that Jesus is highlighting the good things that he did through us during our lifetime. Things that, that came naturally to us that we didn't think about, things that we didn't do to earn favor with him or, or think would somehow grease the skids to us getting into heaven. And yet Jesus mentions those things to our surprise, saying that when you loved and you served and you cared other for others, You did that for me. And that same shock is going to be there for unbelievers. They're going to be surprised that it was a lack of those things that is going to disqualify them from heaven. You saw the surprise in their words when when Jesus pointed out that they failed to do those things. And they they asked, when did we fail to to clothe you, to serve you, to to love you? And, And Jesus equates it. He says, when you fail to do that for other people. When you fail to, to serve your fellow man, you fail to serve me. So both are going to be surprised, shocked on that last day. Both sheep and the goats. Believers and unbelievers. And that means if, if those two categories, which is everyone, is going to be surprised on the last day, then that means that it's very likely that you too will be surprised on the last day. The question is, why will you be surprised? Will you be surprised just to hear Jesus bring up those things that he counts as good, that again were natural, without a second thought, they just sprung from your your Christian faith and, and to hear him recall them before you? Will that be what surprises you? Or, Will your surprise come from the fact that you fully expected to hear Jesus say to you, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and instead hear him speak, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Because if you pause for a moment and, and apply these words, I don't suspect that there's a single person on this planet that anticipates or expects they're going to hear those words from Jesus. Because if they did, they'd do something about it. If they did, they'd be absolutely terrified by it. And yet, Jesus, not a liar, says these words will be spoken and some will be sentenced to a very real hell. The question is, will those words be spoken to you? They very well might be. If if you make the grave mistake of presuming that your faith is something like a hazmat suit that protects you from ever having to serve or care for other people, you may very well hear those words if you mistakenly presumed that grace and forgiveness were simply a free card for you to live however you please and to do whatever you want. You may hear those words, those wretched words of Jesus on the last day, if the confession of your faith and your confession of sins that comes from your lips is actually not rooted at all whatsoever in your heart. Indeed. If any of those are the case, you will hear those words on the last day. Now, you may presume there's no such thing as hell, that's silliness. Or you may like to believe that a loving God would never send anybody there. The question is, are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to, to make that gamble? Are you willing to call Jesus a liar? Or would you rather focus your attention on the hope and the assurance and the promise that Jesus has given to you so that you can be absolutely certain you won't hear those words from him on the last day. But instead, we'll hear these blessed words of Jesus. The full of verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Those are the words that Jesus is going to speak to those who are his on that last day. For the assurance that heaven is their home. Come, you who are, what does he say? Blessed. We use that term in any number of ways, don't we, today? You are blessed. We we talk about, well, my health is good. Oh, yes, I'm blessed. I'm financially blessed. I have kids. I'm blessed. Business work is good. I'm blessed. And yes, when we use that term to acknowledge that those good things come from God, that's appropriate. But can you imagine how our use of the word blessed is going to pale in comparison to how Jesus means it on this last day to redefine entirely what it means to really be blessed in his presence and in heaven? I imagine we'd look back on how we use that word blessing in this life And shake our heads and roll our eyes that we thought that was blessing compared to what's waiting for us. And Jesus goes on to tell us exactly what is waiting for us. He says, Come, you who are blessed, take your inheritance. I don't know of of anybody really that has ever listed somebody in a will or a trust and bestowed on them something that was intended to harm. Or make them worse off. To see that their life would be miserable or painful as a result of something they had received. That's not how an inheritance works. An inheritance is a good thing. It's, it's what those uh, who love their, their children, their grandchildren, their family, or some other good cause, they leave them to that out of love. Jesus says, on that last day, you are finally going to receive that inheritance. And it's not just any inheritance. He goes on to explain what that inheritance is, the kingdom. Not an item, not a thing, not a shiny new car, not a bigger house, not more money, but an entire kingdom, he says. An experience, a new world, something that is entirely new for us uh, in the presence of God. And as we heard in Revelation, absence of sin and sorrow and sadness and and all that is wrong and broken with this world. That's our inheritance, the kingdom that is waiting for us. And did you notice how long your Heavenly Father has been waiting to grant you that inheritance? Take your kingdom or your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I imagine all of us at one time or another have have gone shopping for a gift for somebody else for a special occasion, a birthday, an anniversary, a retirement, whatever it might be. And there have been those times where you have found a gift that you are convinced is absolutely perfect for somebody else. In fact, it's so perfect that you find yourself having a hard time waiting for that event to give them the gift. You want to call them up and say, come over right now. I got something and you're going to love it and I just got to give it to you right now. Imagine... How the heart of your father must be longing and craving to give you this inheritance that he has been waiting on, sitting on, made ready for you before you even existed. That's your inheritance since the creation of the world. He has been longing for time to pass, for everything to come to be, just as he wills it, when all the souls that he has marked for eternal life uh, know their Savior Jesus and he returns finally Can you imagine the heart of your Father bursting with elation and joy to finally bestow on you the inheritance that he has been craving to give you for so long? That will be your inheritance. And speaking of that last day, when Jesus comes on that last day, it's not going to be anything like Jesus' first coming. I don't know that the word glory would describe the babe born in a, in a barn, in, in humility. But yet Jesus explains that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne in heavenly glory. Paul described it as well in his letter to the Thessalonians. He says that when he returns, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Glory will mark that day. Not the silence of stable life, if it truly was silent in the midst of those animals, but an entirely different glory on that last day that, that is going to be the day that Jesus returns to grant you the inheritance that his Father has so long to give you. How does that inheritance become yours? How Can we be assured of the words that we will hear our Savior speak on the last day? The simple answer is faith in Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't use that word, does he, in this account at all? You don't don't see the word faith. You see Jesus instead describing words. You see him describing actions that the believer takes or the unbeliever doesn't take. So what are we to make of that? Well, think of it this way, that That good works are the follow-through of faith, aren't they? A coach in in any sport is going to coach the importance of follow-through. Golf swing, a tennis swing. It's not just once you make contact with the ball, but it's the follow-through that matters. A shooter on the basketball court, a pitcher on the pitching mound, the follow-through matters. When it comes to our Christian faith, the follow-through matters. Faith is followed by good works. They're inseparable. You can't have the one without the other. In fact, those good works are how we see faith. The same way that you can't see gravity right now, but if I let go of this Bible, you would see what it looks like. You can't see faith, but when God's people love and serve others, the way that Jesus described in these verses, we see faith in action. Those good works that Jesus describes, they don't save us. They're merely merely the follow-through of the faith which does. Dear friends, heaven is coming. Anticipate it. Be excited about it. Strengthen your faith to be sure that on those last days, you know what words you will hear. Don't leave it up to chance. But instead, listen to the words your Savior speaks to him. Listen to his voice so you know what it sounds like on that last day. Believe and put that belief into action as a reflection of your faith. And in so doing, you will have the confidence that on the last day, Jesus will speak to you those blessed words. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Amen.